Well, if you would open your Bibles to Mark, Mark chapter 2, please. Mark 2. I'd like to read the Scriptures for you. We'll read Mark 2 and we'll start verse 1 and we'll end with verse 17. I'd like to read, I don't know what, what kind of traditions you have here, but a tradition that we have at Gospel Peace Church is that after the Scriptures are read, the Scripture reader says, this is the Word of the Lord, and the people respond, thanks be to God. So can we try that? Let's, let's practice real quick. I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord, and you'll say, thanks be to God. One more time. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, let's read the text together. Mark 2. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And when he was preaching the word to them, and he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in the spirit that they questioned, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax, at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to your word and we ask for your help. Would you open up our hearts and minds to understand the truth and to see how this truth applies to our lives today? Lord, give us encouragement. Because you are a God who forgives sins. And you are a God who accepts sinners. So Lord, we need you. I love that song we just sang. You are my one defense. 
when the accuser comes, Satan, when the accuser comes, you're my one defense. There's nothing in me, myself, that can defend myself. I'm full of sin. I have no righteousness except that you're my one defense and you're my righteousness. I have a righteousness that's outside of my own righteousness. So Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. As our one defense and our righteousness. So strengthen us today in your spirit, by your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Apply these things deep within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's look to the word this morning because man, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's a really popular book series by a man named C.S. Lewis. And there's a book in that book series called The Voyage of the Don Treader. Heard of this book? Anybody? Okay. In that book, there's a boy named Eustace. And everybody hates him. And the feeling is mutual. He hates everybody. He's selfish. He's mean. And nobody can get along with him. But he finds himself magically on a boat. The Don Treader. Taking a great voyage. At one point, the boat pulls into an island. And Eustace wanders off. And finds a cave. The cave proves to be filled with diamonds and rubies and gold. And he thinks to himself, I'm rich. And immediately, because he is who he is, he now thinks it's payback time. People have been mean to me. It's payback time. Anyone who has laughed at him, stepped on him, slighted him, will now get their deserved punishment. Eustace then falls asleep on the pile of treasure, which he doesn't know yet know that is the hoarded treasure of a dragon. Good job, class. And because he falls asleep with greedy dragon's thoughts in his heart, when he wakes up, he becomes a Dragon, good job. Big, terrible, and ugly. Soon he realizes there's no way out. He can't go to the boat. He's going to be left on the island alone. He's going to be horrible all of his life. He falls into despair. You see, Eustace got exactly what he wanted. He wanted wealth. Got it. He wanted vengeance. To get back at the people he hated, he got it. He wanted life improvements. He wanted all things for himself. And it turns out that's, that's not actually what he wanted at all. Ever been there before? Where you wanted something so bad and you got it and you thought to yourself, it's not actually what I wanted at all. In our text today, we're going to see a man who thought he knew what he wanted but Jesus is going to give him more than he asked for. 
And we're also going to see Jesus approach a group of sinners, cheaters, liars, swindlers, fakers, and Jesus is going to give them something more than, than, than they deserve. Two points today. Ready? Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Secondly, Jesus has the grace to forgive sinners. A minor thing in there, but I think it's huge. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He's, he's become popular, and, and when they gather at a house, there's no more room, not even at the door, for them to gather in verse 2. So four men come, and they're carrying a paralytic man. They get to the house, but they can't get in the door. It's jam-packed with people. Nobody's moving. You're beginning to see something in the Gospel of Mark, that if you've read the Gospel of Mark, you've probably wondered about this thing. There's all these crowds coming to Jesus, but it seems like the crowds are actually restricting access to Jesus. And the crowds often do that. They act as this buffer sometimes. People that are wanting to get to Jesus, but also for positive reasons, but, po- but also people wanting to get to Jesus for negative reasons. They act as this buffer. And we'll find out that the people trying to take down Jesus they get around the buffer, don't they? Into Judas. And then they turn the crowds. And he's crucified. One author says this, despite Jesus' popularity, the crowds are not a measure of success in Mark. Not, the crowds are not a measure of success in Mark. They constitute outsiders who stand either in ambivalence or in opposition to Jesus. They're just there. And sometimes in the way. Question. Are you just part of the crowd? Are you just here? Not really a committed disciple every day of the week, following Jesus, pursuing Christ with all of your life, but you just kind of like being close to where Jesus is at work. You like enjoying the benefits of being nearby where Jesus is working. Maybe at one point you thought, I was committed, but I've drifted away. And I feel like I'm just part of the crowd. You're just a consumer looking for what can benefit me? Or are you a committed disciple of Jesus. I like to think of it this way. Are you just in proximity to Jesus or are you in dependency to Je- with Jesus? Are you just living in proximity or dependency? Just close to Jesus or dependency on Jesus? Are you a true disciple or just a consumer? It's part of the crowd. It's one of some of the benefits of being around, being close by, being around nice people. Or do you actually love Jesus? It's a big question in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, about the crowds. And it ought to hit hard. So since these men, these four men, come with a paralytic, they can't get to Jesus, they have a great idea. One of them says to the other, in my translation, have you seen Mission Impossible? It's not there, actually. Um, what if we bring them through the roof? 
Okay, so they get up on the roof, which is not uncommon for people to go on roofs. What is uncommon is like digging holes in roofs to drop a bed through with a paralytic guy on. So can you imagine the commotion as Jesus is teaching? Like dirt and rocks and stuff just falling down while Jesus is trying to teach. Not quite as sneaky as Tom Cruise. They, they made a hole big enough for him to lower this paralytic man on a bed. So how does Jesus respond to this? Look at verse 5. And Jesus, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Okay? First reading this, you're thinking, your sins are forgiven. Really? What, what do you mean? Like the sin of like opening up someone's roof? What's the sin here? Why, why are you addressing this? I don't know if you noticed this, but he can't walk. He's paralyzed. He needs some help. Can you just do the healing thing that you did a lot in the last chapter? Do that thing for us, Jesus. But Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now enter the scribes. Look at verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, great question. Who could forgive sins but God alone? Okay, so you're not... It's this principle of like, you're not able to forgive sins of someone who has not sinned against you, right? Be like me, if someone sinned against Abby, and then me, man, that's not a great example because two have become one, it gets a little complicated. Okay, me and Sean. Someone sins against Sean, and me saying, all right, I forgive you for sinning against Sean. The person's like, okay, you know, whatever, right? So um, it, it's about the, you're, only, you're not able to forgive sins that weren't committed against you. Sins are, sins are ultimately against God. So only he can forgive sins. That's the question they're asking. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus responds with the question, with, to the questions in their heads and says this in verse 8. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed and walk? Okay, pause here for a second. Answer that question to yourself. Which one's actually easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Which one's easier to say with like a thousand eyes on you? Son, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. I think it's actually easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because there's no like immediate proof needed. It's only hard because it's like blasphemy, and if you say that, the people that are there might want to kill you, that makes it hard, right? You're going to say something that's blasphemous if you're not God. <laughs> so it's hard in, to say in that sense, but easy to say because you can't immediately prove that their sins are forgiven. But probably it's harder to say, rise, take up your head, bed, and walk because it demands immediate proof. Just imagine that. He says, your sins are forgiven. Everyone's like, okay, fine, whatever. You know, the opposers are like, I don't believe you. But then, what if he says, rise to get your bed and walk? Everyone's like, okay, go ahead. Rise up and walk. They're looking for this immediate proof. Let's see it happen. Verse 10. Keep reading. Verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed 
glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus heals the paralytic man. Because he wanted them to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to heal people, to forgive sins. Jesus can forgive sins. And so therefore, Jesus is God. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins because He is God. Sins are ultimately against God. And Jesus forgives those sins because Jesus is God. Do you get the point? So what do you, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe in the Trinity? Christian? Do you believe in the triune God? Father, Son, and Spirit. Do you know how to explain the Trinity? Well, no one does, we say. It's too complicated. No one can really understand it. But this is a core Christian doctrine that is under attack all over the world. So how would you explain the triune God? Can you explain the doctrine of the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Can you explain it without being a heretic? That's where it gets complicated, isn't it? If you're really careful, what we're saying is that we believe in one God and three persons. One being three persons. Here's an easy way to think about it. A rock has been zero persons. You have one being, one person. God, one being, three persons. Got it so far? The Trinity is, a, is actually its shorthand for seven statements. Here we go. We're going to go really fast through this because my time's ticking away. Ready? Seven statements. Ready? Here they are. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. Okay? Three, three so far. The, the Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit. See how the distinct persons? The seventh one, there is only one God. So when we say Trinity, you're like, well, Trinity's not in the Bible. Well, like, actually it is. And here's the seven statements where we're saying, this is what the Trinity is. And we say it really fast by saying the word Trinity. Can you define and explain the Trinity to somebody as a core Christian doctrine? We had the joy to talk with a couple that moved to Logan from California and the Lord's kindness they ended up at Gospel Peace Church. They came out of the United Pentecostal Church, which is Unitarian. We had the joy and privilege to explain the Trinity to them and to see their eyes light up and say, yes, that makes sense. And then, praise the Lord, they were both baptized in the Logan River into membership at Gospel Peace Church. Praise the Lord. Jesus has authority to forgive sins because He is God. And He forgives sins because of their faith. Did you see that in verse 5? you see that in verse 5? Jesus saw their faith. Your sins are forgiven. When Jesus sees them, these men believe in Him, He forgives the sins of the paralytic. They weren't just passerbys, skeptical of Jesus' authority. No, they actually believed. They weren't just standing in the crowd observing, trying to catch 
catch a quick favor from Jesus. They actually believed in Him. So to you I say, believe in Jesus. Trust Him with your life. Don't just be this observer in the crowd. Give up your life and follow Him. If you really believe that He's God, you give up your life and follow Him. You wouldn't be so concerned about yourself, so concerned about your trajectory in life, focusing in on yourself to make enough money, to advance in my career, to do well in school. All of that would be because you follow Jesus. Give it up and follow Him. And it's not by your works that accomplish these things. It's by grace through faith. He didn't say, I see your works of righteousness. Or I, didn't, I see your holiness and now your sins are forgiven. He says, I see, he sees their faith. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, Titus 3. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Let me ask you this, are your sins forgiven? Are all of your sins forgiven? Has, has someone paid the penalty for all of your sins? Or just some of them? Did Jesus die on the cross for some of your sins? For all of your sins. I've heard LDS people say it like this. You do all that you can and Jesus will take you the rest of the way. That's really nice, doesn't it? But it's not true. I've heard others say something like, no, Jesus will take you all the way actually, but then in the afterlife, we will see how you measured up by your works. Let me ask you, are all of your sins forgiven? Did Jesus die on the cross for just enough of your sins to get you to a certain level of heaven? And then you've got to kind of take yourself the rest of the way by your baptism, by your faithfulness to the church? Or did He die for all of your sins so that you may go directly to Him? And the highest and only level of heaven with the Father in Christ forever. In one sentence, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 says, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I will remember them no more, the Lord says. Isaiah 43, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. It's the most important thing you could ask. is for your sins to be forgiven. Perhaps you're here today and you're thinking, man, I think my sins are actually keeping me from the Lord. My sins aren't forgiven. I haven't given up my life and followed Him. I haven't turned from my sin. I'm still pursuing these sins. I haven't turned and given up my life to follow Jesus. I still struggle with sin, of course. But my trajectory of life is towards, the, is towards Christ. Would you admit your sin before Him and turn from your sin to follow Him? Imagine the paralytic. Surely this man, this man would have been resting all of his hopes in the possibility of walking again. If only I could walk again, then I would be set for life. I'd never be unhappy. I would never complain. If only I could walk again, then all, everything would be right. And Jesus is saying, my son, you're mistaken. The euphoria won't last. The roots of discontent of the human heart go deep. Jesus goes deeper. 
Jesus forgives sins. Jesus will satisfy and nothing else will do. Jesus is God. He stands ready to forgive your sins. But he also has the grace to forgive sinners. Quickly through this next text, after the people are glorifying God and awe and wonder what Jesus has done and said, Jesus goes out again by the sea and he calls Levi to himself. This time, Jesus doesn't call a lowly, unknown fisherman like he did in the first chapter. He calls a wealthy, well-known tax collector. You've got to know something about tax collectors. Levi wasn't just famous, he was infamous. It's a system of taxation that attracted the kind of men who would not be afraid to lie, cheat, and steal in order to get more money for themselves, to trick people. They were hated. Not only that, but this man whom Jesus meets is named Levi. He should have been a Levite priest, you would think. He should have taken up some religious vocation, but he chose this? He's like a traitor. What is he doing? And Jesus says to him, follow me. And he immediately gets up and follows him. In fact, a good amount of tax collectors and sinners follow Jesus in this text. Jesus goes to Levi's house for a meal with many tax collectors and sinners. And the scribes of the Pharisees are perplexed. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors are legitimately terrible people. They have sinned against God. And now, Jesus, who is God, is sitting with them. Eating with them. Sound familiar? Jesus hates sin. But he can't wait to forgive and accept the sinner. When he forgives sins, he forgives the sinner. He welcomes the sinner. See what's going on here? He's not just forgiving sins as some outside debt, debt that needs to be canceled. But it is an outside debt that needs to be canceled, needs to go away. He's not just doing that. He's actually accepting the sinner. Pours out his grace to sinners. Goes to Levi's house. Enters into personal relationship with Levi. Levi is now one of Jesus' disciples. He doesn't just want to cancel your sin. He wants you. Place your trust in Him by faith. Believing Him. Believing looks like following. Like Levi, give up everything to follow Him. That's the kind of belief. The giving up of everything kind of belief. Giving up everything to follow Him kind of belief. Giving up sin. Giving up greed. Giving up finances. Giving up security or steady home. Steady income. Giving up pleasures. What you think might give you pleasures. Giving up your own desires. Giving up yourself. Follow Him with your life because you believe in Him. You believe He will forgive your sins. You believe He will accept the sinner. He brings you in. He welcomes you into a relationship with Him. Do you trust Him? Do you believe in Him? Do you believe you actually need a Savior? Do you believe you need His grace? Because those who are well, verse 17, don't need a doctor. But those who are sick need a doctor. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me tell you, this is not an easy process. This thing we're calling people to believe in, this gospel, this good news, is not an easy thing to go through. Because we're calling them to repent, to turn from their sins and follow Him. And repentance is hard. Remember that boy Eustace? The boy turned dragon 
Got everything he wanted, didn't he? He's in despair. Well, one day, a great lion shows up, Aslan. Leads him to a clear pool of water and tells him to take off the dragon skin and jump in. Eustace begins to gnaw and claw off the scales and he realizes that he can shed his dragon skin. Working at it, he finally peels off the skin. But to his dismay, he finds that underneath, he's got another dragon skin. He tries a second time and a third time to no avail. Same thing happens each time. And in the end, the lion says, you're going to have to let me go a, a little bit deeper. And here's how Eustace tells the story later. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling off the skin, it hurt worse than anything I've felt before. Well, well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done myself a few other times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the gra grass. Only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby looking than the others had been. Then he caught hold of me, threw me in the water. It caused a sharp pain like anything, but only for a moment. Then I saw I'd turned into a boy again. It's hard to read without weeping. Like it's actually going to hurt for you to confess sin. To let Jesus go deeper. He stands ready to forgive you of your sins if you would just place your faith in Him. Christian, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't want just to remove your sins. He wants you. And He cuts deep to do it. We have such good news for people, don't we? That your sins can be forgiven. Every single one. For somebody that's, that thinks, I can just work myself into my own righteousness to gain access to God. We have this doctrine called justification that says, all of your sins are forgiven. Every one of them. Past, present, and future. But also, you're not left morally neutral. You have been given the righteousness of Christ. Praise the Lord. You have a righteousness that's not yours. It's outside of you. It's been given to you. Because none of us are worthy, but we are made worthy. Who are you sharing this good news with? Do you believe it's good news? Think right now. Who? To whom are you sharing this good news? Not always will they lower a bed through your roof to come hear your good news. Sometimes you need to go to them. Go into their home. Welcome them into your home. Invite them to church. Right here. Where they will hear the gospel proclaimed. So who is it? We know the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them and teach them. And I'll be with you always, Jesus says. So, disciple, who is it?
you have this good news of Christ's forgiveness. He has the authority to forgive sins, but He has the grace to forgive the sinner. Praise the Lord for this good news. May we be faithful proclaimers of the Gospel. Let's pray.